0: We'll <laughs>
1: May the force be with you. And also with you. Let us bow our heads and pray for Kylo Ren's salvation.
0: <laughs> Unlike uh, his uncle who tried to murder him. <laughs> yeah, depending on which
1: of the three versions of that story you believe. <laughs> they retold that
0: story three times in the movie. Wait, so we got it once from Ren's perspective, once from Luke's perspective, and once from...
1: And then there was an original Luke's perspective. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So Luke, yeah, Luke's Luke l- said that a lying
0: butthead. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> what was the what was the uh, like the narrative point of that? We wanted they wanted us to think for a second that Luke was like deranged or was close to the dark side, and that Kylo Ren actually was totally good. Wait, at which point, which telling of the story? So Luke originally told the story to Ray. That was like, I saw he was dark and he had, and I had confronted him and he tried to kill me. And then Kylo told the story <laughs> to kill me.
0: <laughs> Luke Skywalker saying that. <laughs> my nephew tried to kill me. <laughs> oh my God. He's I bad.
1: Can- <laughs> He's evil in him. <laughs> I can't wait to like in future years watch this movie and laugh my ass off.
0: <laughs> yeah. I know that so many people are already doing that and yeah. It's one of those that <laughs> kind of like uh episode 3 Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. That it just becomes funnier over time. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> I'm glad you
1: mentioned episode 3 and those first 3 in general, because I guess there's no point to wait in revealing what I what I realized about this movie, but I found those three movies, each of them individually, to be far more entertaining than The Last Jedi.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's big. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, I think as much as I've seen people absolutely trash this movie mm-hmm. over the course of the last three weeks, I don't think I've seen... Anyone say such a thing as that? Ah, <laughs> that's that's about as big of a claim as you can get in the Star Wars universe. That yeah, and like <laughs> the maybe prequels are better than anything.
1: <laughs> well, it's it's at least that I felt like they moved better. I mean, because, Wow, you're like, just
0: a Lucas fanboy, aren't you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna start taunting people. Or oh oh oh, wait, you were taunting me. Oh yeah, so I you're thought... just a Luke a Lucas fanboy? <laughs> yeah, I'm a Lucas fanboy, but I'm gonna start calling people Skywalker fanboys. <laughs> You only like it cuz you like Skywalker. But the maybe cuz it's the original 3 came out when I was like younger and so it was like more a part of my growing up or something but
0: yeah. Yeah. Now I liked the last Jedi so I'm offended. Ah, did you like the last Jedi? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I Well, I, I wouldn't mean, say I loved it. Uh-huh. No. But I was definitely entertained by ah. probably like seventy-three percent of it.
1: Okay, yeah. Like I think for me, ultimately, I'm going to have to apply new categories of thinking when I talk <laughs> about this movie. Because like I can't I can't try and understand this movie the way I would try and understand a movie like Armageddon or even a movie like Schindler's List. I mean, it's yeah. just so different
0: in scope. Yeah. <laughs> that I I'm I don't think this movie can be understood. You're right. I think it, it defies any attempt at explanation or to be understood. Yeah. That's, and, yeah. That, that'll probably endure.
1: I think you're right because something I will say that I left this movie feeling very good about was I did not leave this movie confused. A lot of movies, like I personally and I think others leave confused. And that to me is the sign mm-hmm. of like a very poorly constructed movie. I wasn't yeah. confused. I was just like empty in terms of like, I I didn't, I didn't know what to make of it. You know, like I was confounded. That's what I was not confused, but I was confounded.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's confounding. And it's so different.
1: It's so utterly different in, in, at least in my view from any other Star Wars that actually at the end of the day, I was like, well done, Disney. I really appreciate that you just gave Ryan Johnson the reins and you were like, go with it. People using the force to like talk across space and
0: time. Sure. Yeah. Do it. Little, uh, little like five tit creature that secretes green milk for old, old Luke. <laughs> and then Luke like tauntingly drinking it. <laughs> yeah. Like, Kind of in the fashion of like a two and a half year old like drinking a bottle for the first time. Yeah, yeah, spilling (laughs) it everywhere. Oh, yeah, that was, yeah, that's that was disgusting. (laughs) Is that thing?
1: (laughs) I think it looks kind of (laughs) like Alf. Remember Alf?
0: Yes, yes, (laughs) Alf, that like alien brown (laughs) alien creature man. Yeah, he kind of had like a nose that was
1: almost like a like a tube, like a half a trunk.
0: Yeah. I heard they had to go through like extreme lengths for that scene. Like, um, <laughs> I think, I think, I think they built that thing. Like, it wasn't CGI. Huh. So, who, first of all, who the fuck thought of that? Yeah. Was that Ryan Johnson? Like, tit scene? Oh, well, how's, yeah, <laughs> how's Luke gonna get sustenance on <laughs> fucking Skellig Michael? I forget the name uh. of the, is, uh, the island the Jedi Temple in Star Wars universe. Okay. It's like Angkor or something. Okay. But in reality, it's Skellig Michael off the coast of Ireland. Ah, oh, that's right. You, in case you want to visit. You almost went there. I did, yeah. I was sitting on the shore and staring at it in the distance and thinking about Luke Skywalker. But this was before The Last Jedi came out, so I just had that epic image at the end of Force Awakens.
1: Yeah, and had you seen The Last Jedi, you I guess you probably would have gone there just to see if those tit monsters were real. <laughs>
0: I would have just been sitting on the shore just craving some thick green milk. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's something so disgusting about it. Like I think when I when I saw this movie, The Last Jedi, it was a couple weeks after it came out, so that chasm had already erupted between the critical response and like the average moviegoer response where it got like all these great reviews from movie critics and most like most people just said it sucked ass. Like, it was yeah. horrible. <laughs> it's just like, how the fuck could this, like, exist? And I think right when that tit creature came on, I was like, okay, I get it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I get what people are talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't, uh, Star Wars always has those, like, weird moments where just, like, out of nowhere, there's, like, a new creature and even on the, on the island, just all of a sudden we're introduced to like the caretakers who are oh, these, yeah. basically I'll describe them as like alien potato <laughs> nuns. That's kind of what they're reminding. They're reminding me of like a potato <laughs> alien that's a nun.
0: <laughs> yeah. And they just hang that's out. That's pretty accurate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they just hate Ren.
0: Hate, hate Ren? Kylo? Oh, I mean Ray. Oh, Ray. Ray. Ooh, Ran and Ray. Pretty close. Yeah. Only one letter apart. Maybe that's why they can communicate via like Skype in their mind.
1: Yeah. Even though this movie seemed to definitively proclaim that they are not related.
0: Yes. Yeah. One thing that pissed a lot of people off is J.J. J. Abrams sets up this big mystery of like, who's Ray? Where'd she come from? And then Ryan Johnson's like, yeah, she comes from nothing. Get over it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Which I'm wondering if that's like a little silks uh, little screen that they're mm, pulling over a little,
0: little red herring and, yeah a little red herring yeah it's it's quite possible you never know because uh with episode 9 JJ's coming back because oh Col- Colin Trevorrow got dropped from the project
1: oh <laughs> who are these people
0: <laughs> who are these
1: basically nobodies who get these billion dollar budgets to make movies Trevor Sorian and- yeah, Trevor Sorian and even Ryan Johnson. Like yeah. he's he's done some stuff, but like Yeah, he did like a movie. Yeah, a lot of these guys are, who are those those who are those brothers
0: who oh, do stuff? Like you mean like the uh, Marvel brothers, like the Avengers yeah. guys? Yeah. I don't know. But they got their like
1: yeah, butthead Butthead brothers. <laughs> <laughs> uh they got their their first uh like Big
0: one, uh, like after having done almost nothing, yeah. So, whatever, I don't know, man. I mean, who knows what webs of connection are going on or what weird behind the scenes favors are being done.
1: Yeah, maybe it's just like who can like out who, 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 like is the alpha nerd? Maybe <laughs> like they get to direct. <laughs> you have won the nerd off,
0: yeah, you win. <laughs> I just love that Colin Trevorino, Treverino, mm-hmm. um, Colin Trevelyan, who directed, <laughs> who directed uh, Jurassic World and shot onto the scene and, you know, is just this huge guy, makes a ton of money, and then he's announced to direct Episode Nine, And it's like, man, this guy's just, like, got it made. Like, he's on the trajectory to just, like, be this huge, well-known director. <laughs> like... A couple of years after he got awarded that, he just like, all of a sudden, Disney was like, oh, yeah, we're, we're not using Colin anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just dropped him. They're like, we're actually going to use J.J. Abrams again. <laughs> so it's like, you can sugarcoat it in your press releases all you want. But basically, this guy sucks. <laughs> you realize that he's horrible. <laughs> You're right. Hey, did he do the
1: new Jurassic World that's coming out?
0: No, he's a producer on it, but that looks so bad.
1: That movie looks so horrible.
0: (laughs) I I was stunned at how bad it looks. (laughs) Me too. Oh my God. It's nothing. Like it was nothing. It was a void trailer. Like there's nothing to go off of. They're just like, we're just going to put dinosaurs and Chris Pratt together again. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) That's it. So dumb. God. Yeah, that was astounding. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, apparently Trevoro came out with a movie like in between Jurassic World and like the present day and it uh-huh. was like his attempt at a drama mm. and I forget what it was called, but it just bombed. Everyone said it was like hilariously bad. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I heard about that. <laughs> <So, laughs> I'd like to think that that misstep of him trying to be an artist is what cost him <laughs> yeah the shot at writing and directing a star wars movie (laughs) oh
1: big mistake on his agent's part to let him do that just yeah ride that wave ride that jurassic world wave don't even don't do anything to possibly fuck it up right let alone sit around yeah 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 just sit and have meetings with people (laughs) like just (laughs) do that for like a year
0: yeah touch base with steven spielberg time to time yeah
1: maybe bob zemeckis too
0: Maybe Bob Zemeckis. Ooh, yeah. I would love
1: to see a Zemeckis Star
0: Wars. Zemeckis Star Wars, yeah. I mean, it'd have to have Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> Bubba was my best good friend.
1: <laughs> so, when I saw The Last Jedi, there was a trailer for Infinity War. <laughs> oh, yes, there was. Which... I think we've talked about it in the past. Just the the fact that that wording is not grammatically correct. Yeah, the fact that it's probably the dumbest title ever. Two nouns. They're they're both a noun: (laughs) infinity and war. (laughs) Like not infinite war. Like that's
0: that's grammatically sound. Yeah. (laughs) Infinity and war. (laughs) Oh, and I'm.
1: I know this would just kill so many people, but somewhere in my weird cynical heart, I am just hoping at the end of some Marvel movie, like, they're in, like, the desert of some land and they, like, someone picks up a lightsaber and they're like, what's this? Excuse me.
0: Boom. Credits. <laughs> like, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. Because they're, they're just going to keep pumping these movies out. Like, you know, they say, like, oh, Star Wars, you know, 7, 8, and 9 to – because – there was talk of that even when George Lucas was doing them yeah but like even this movie The Last Jedi's pulled in like 1.2 billion already and it's like probably the worst reviewed one it's like (laughs) why the hell would they ever stop making these if they're just making like hundreds of millions of dollars like guaranteed every time (laughs) yeah and the same with the fucking Avengers so yeah they're gonna bring (laughs) them together (laughs) you're right and then Disney also owns uh ESPN. So there's gonna be like uh, a yeah. uh, sports center broadcast at the end of like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so Star Wars movie. Like, and then when we watch the slow mo replay of Kylo Ren, <laughs> that would be so fucking funny. Like thirty for thirty on Kylo yeah, Ren. <laughs> like Mike Golick and
1: Trey Wingo have like a they have a they have a radio show. Those two have a sports radio show, and they're like <laughs> Kusumano, Kusumano, oh, yeah, Joe Buck, <laughs> Which, Mike, uh, I forget his name, Shannon. <laughs> mike
0: shannon yeah uh yeah yeah who knows what the fuck disney's doing like i mean we've had plenty of episodes in the past about disney and basically all of them conclude that it's just an evil brainwashing uh organism yeah. essentially and i mean the last jedi i definitely didn't love it like that was a gross exaggeration <laughs> i enjoyed it and i yeah i think i think i partly like if i watched it opening night i probably been like what the fuck is going on yeah but, like I think because so many people hated it, it made me kind of laugh at the parts that clearly were the parts people would hate, Mm. such as when Princess Leia flew. (laughs) She pulled a Mary Poppins. Yeah,
1: yeah, you're right. (laughs) That is what she pulled. She pulled a Mary Poppins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There were so many scenes in this movie where I just, under my breath, goes, I went, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And that, I think, was like the first big one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This was this was the first Star Wars, though, where I was like, okay, I am watching a stupid kids movie. Ah.
1: Uh, Especially
0: sh- with that fucking little Puffin thing.
1: Yeah. The Puffin thing was... Every Star Wars, I feel like, ha- tries to have one cute thing. Yeah. And that was its attempt. And it, w- it was a very odd character arc, which I wanted to say, have you ever heard of this... Um, There's a psychological disorder. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Uh, I think it's st- called Stockholm Syndrome, actually. Okay. Um, I've heard of that, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's, like, where people end up falling in love with, like, people who harm them or something. Or there's some... Okay. It's, it's like, some weird psychological thing. I forget exactly how it goes. But, yeah, essentially someone who is, like, either captive... I think the the basic pop definition is, like... ...prisoner falling in love with their captor, something like that. Mm. And I felt that Chewie's relationship with that puffin was a clear example of Stockholm Syndrome. Because just earlier, we saw Chewie eat that thing's sibling, essentially. And (laughs) in every logical, you know, mind, that thing should be fleeing from Chewie, not becoming his best
0: friend. Wow. You know, I, I mean, it's been two weeks since I've seen this movie... Actually, more like three. I don't I don't even remember Chewie being in it. <laughs> I don't remember seeing Chewie at all. That's so
1: funny because it's only been like five days since I saw the movie and I had that exact same thought yesterday.
0: <laughs> like, he was hardly a character in this movie. Yeah. Like, they just decided like, well, we got to keep Chewie even though Harrison Ford is dead. Yeah. It did not work. <laughs> no. You can't have Chewie without Han Solo. Like, yeah. fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like... Uh, there seems to be like a massive distinction between Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill's relationship to Star Wars at this point in their lives. Mm. Where by pretty much uh, all shreds of evidence, Harrison Ford absolutely loathes all things Star Wars and doesn't want it to be a part of his life in any way. And I'm pretty sure I heard that his like absolute condition upon doing the force awakens was that they finally just kill his ass i think i heard that too (laughs) (laughs) even though he's getting like hundreds of millions of dollars and mark hamill on the other hand is like star wars fanboy 101 he like goes to star wars conventions and like just totally participates in all the like intense nerddom and Mm. he was like basically their guy like throughout the years wow and I mean I guess he had nothing else to do. But
1: (laughs) yeah, certainly not make
0: movies. (laughs) But (laughs) even with The Last Jedi, like I started watching a bunch of interviews with him and he's like he just talks so much about it and like clearly cares a ton. And like one of the big things that a lot of the haters latched onto is he was like in the early press moments, like before the movie came out, he was just ripping on Ryan Johnson's treatment of Luke Skywalker. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, like he, like basically saying how he fundamentally fundamentally disagreed with everything Ryan Johnson did with his character. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, tons of interviews where he's like basically bashing the movie and only <laughs> in like only after all the hate came out did he go on Twitter and be like you know, I regret saying all that and, you know, I, I just had to open up to a direction I didn't foresee and, you know, all this stuff. And then he um, dissolved away into nothingness <laughs> and floated <laughs> away into the double sunset. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> in, and into that weird dot that was just, like, hovering. Do you see that weird dot? I don't know if I saw the dot. Ah, forget it. It's, it's not important.
0: <laughs> we seem to be made to suffer.
1: It's our lot in life. <laughs> wow. That's really fascinating because I feel like normally movie companies really try and put, like, a a gag on what anyone associated with the movie is allowed to say in terms of negative publicity.
0: Yeah. Like, I think it's, like, in their contract. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know why Mark Hamill just, like, decided that he was, like, above Disney. Yeah, he's, <laughs> like, he's not actually Luke Skywalker. <laughs> like, he is Mark Hamill. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, if it weren't for this movie, like, no one would be talking about him except, like, maybe about 30 people. <laughs> <laughs> At least his present-day self. Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. Which has a weird voice. His voice is different now. And right when he first talked, I was like, you sound weird, Mark. Yeah, I thought the exact same thing. Yeah, I don't know if I was same a- with Carrie, Carrie, C- Carrie, Carrie Fisher.
1: Oh yeah, I thought of that about Carrie in um, Force Awakens. Force Awakens as well. Same.
0: Yeah, she's like, <sighs> urgh, urgh. <laughs> I always loved you, Han. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Wow, that <laughs> you're right. That was a you just want to
0: see our son. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's so funny because not back. <laughs> Not only is that a good impression. I could also imagine that exact voice that you just did, like a sixty-five-year-old man on his porch.
0: Sixty-five-year-old <laughs> Eastwood on his torino. Yeah, <laughs> on his torino. <laughs> I always loved you, Han.
1: Yeah, yeah. Those, those Skywalker
0: voices—they just change. <laughs> Skywalker voices age strangely. Yeah, yeah. We got that—that uh, that Kylo Ren voice too. Yeah. Oh, Kylo Ren. I don't even
1: know what to... I'm confused. Okay. So you, in, in our Forrest Gump question, in our Forrest Gump episode, you posed what I thought to be a great question. Um, and it was, is Forrest Gump a complex character? Uh, and I think I have the same question for Kylo Ren, but I can't tell if it's like, is he complex or or maybe the question is is he way too complex <laughs> like it's so, it's one of those polar opposite questions
0: <laughs> well like, what i think a, a complex character what what makes a complex character like someone with uh maybe contradictions yeah. in themselves and like a degree of unpredictability and, like, more than one, let's say more than, like, three defining characteristics. Yeah, yeah. So if you can just go A, B, and C, uh, tall, yeah. mad, hungry. It's like,
1: okay, just, not complex. <laughs> right,
0: right. So so what would be, like, the three defining characteristics of Kylo Ren? And then if those feel like they encapsulate him, then mm-hmm. maybe we can conclude he is not complex. That's good. I, I feel like for
1: one... I would say he's conflicted, but that already, I think, lends to complexity. Like, I think if I had to answer my own question, I would say he is complex. Um, But I just feel like he is presented in a way where it's like we are we are really being introduced to him as a character during like the most complex part of his adolescence, basically.
0: Um, <laughs> <adolescence>. <laughs> I love that. Cause Adam driver's like 35 <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> <This> adolescent teenager. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I know people have said this before that they're like, he's so he's emo <laughs> he's emo. Yeah. I've heard that too, yeah. but I just kind of felt it. And this one more to me made him, made me think about adolescence, maybe cause there are some like coming of age themes going on. I mean, for one, this isn't really coming-of-age theme. This is more of like an adolescent thing. Like, he just really wants to wear a mask. You know? Like, he just really wants to wear a mask that he yeah. doesn't need. Yeah, and everyone calls it stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and he gets mad and breaks it. <laughs> yeah, even Snoke calls his mask stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it just cracked me up cuz i was like oh yeah he doesn't need him he doesn't need a
0: mask right just <laughs> yeah. like Vader, like needed that to survive yeah <laughs> so um yeah <laughs> yeah so another defining characteristic hmm uh, authority issues
1: yeah you're right he does anger anger yeah definitely definitely like really like like uh really angry (laughs) like well hey you'd be angry too if your uncle tried to kill you yeah Yeah, with that horrifyingly angry luke skywalker face yeah Yeah, so i think of someone like um general hux so general um gleason that is to say oh yeah domnall domnall um (laughs) I feel like he is an angry character, but his anger is, um, it's relatable in the sense that he is essentially a fascist general. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like he gets angry at the people he wants to kill. Um, I feel like Kylo Ren gets really angry at the people he wants to kill and he gets angry at himself. I feel like Kylo Ren gets angry at himself. And yeah. that's that's where the source. So for someone like General Hux, I feel the source of his anger is the people that he wants to kill. I feel like for a lot of Kylo Ren, <laughs> the source of his anger is his own confusion, perhaps.
0: Yeah, and maybe that's what Ray senses when she's like, "There's still good in him." Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's a really, that's a really good point. Um, I, I'm feeling in the lieu of this conversation that. Kylo Ren is a complex character. I agree. I think I he's way that. more like complex and interesting than the prequels version of Anakin. Mm, yeah, definitely. He's just kind of a whiny little, little beezy. Yeah, you're right. He's, he's always like, telling me what to do. <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I hate you.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Why, I oh, my God, that's surprising. I haven't Hayden thought of. Yeah, I haven't thought about that in so long that <laughs> I wasn't even like prepared to laugh. Like, cause I laugh so hard at those scenes.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're hilarious. And even when yeah. he's like trying to goad Padme into the dark side, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just his look about Hayden Christensen. It's like I can't take you seriously, man. He's like, Yeah, we could rule together,
1: <laughs> you and me. <laughs>
0: I heard a great justification when when
1: those movies came out and people were like, the acting's bad. Did you ever hear this justification? No. Apparently, George Lucas or someone was like, well, in the original three, the acting was bad. So we wanted them to be consistent and we intentionally made it like this. It's like, like, oh, really? Because I'm pretty sure I thought Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor did a pretty good job acting. So your directions to make them
0: act poorly didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) i think you just suck george yeah oh man um kylo ren and ray have this sort of yin yang thing going on yeah
1: speaking to each other way across space and stuff
0: and even kylo ren like appearing in a hut on this island and luke skywalker freaking out and blowing up a temple with his mind Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is great because then we get the uh definitely the best cameo of the movie. Um In the wake of Ray leaving the island. You know who I'm talking about? uh, Oh yeah. Yeah, Little puppet cameo? Little
1: puppet cameo. (laughs) Yeah. Master Y. Right? Is that what (laughs) you're talking about?
0: Master Y, yeah. Yoda? Yeah. Yeah. Yoda himself. Yeah. Yoda appears. We get the old school Empire Strikes Back Yoda, which was great to see.
1: Yeah. Not the, and, uh, um, yeah, not the Sith, not the Return of the Revenge of the Sith Yoda, where it's like doing flips and
0: remember yeah. when he's
1: like sword fighting Count Dooku or something? I yeah. forget.
0: It's just like a CGI, like green, uh, blob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's good to get old man Yoda. And he like he schools Luke Skywalker, young young Skywalker. Yeah. Again. Says that he's gotta learn from his failures. Um a lot of people have been pissed at, you know, not just Mark Hamill has been pissed at this, but a lot of people have been pissed at the portrayal of Luke. Have you heard that? No. A lot of people well, I guess, you know, in like all the Star Wars lore that has developed since Return of the Jedi all fan fiction and beyond and you know whatever's canon um luke's luke tends to be like a total badass who just like destroys everyone that he wants to and is just like this ultimate enlightened jedi and so to instead have him like isolated on an island like hating the world and just being like kind of uh kind of whiny my nephew doesn't like me (laughs) i failed him i failed again yeah i'm just gonna go hide to show now. some uh, yeah yeah it's basically to say that uh luke would never actually turn his back on the jedi mm-hmm. like that yeah that it's stupid and he never would try to murder his nephew <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i understand that i
1: mean because there is a certain certain i don't know something where it's like a lot of shit is going down in the galaxy like it could be helpful But I I mean, I also get the idea of like, well, what can I do? You know, just get away. Let me just die in peace. Let me just Mm -hmm. dissolve into the air in peace. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, But I'll just say real quick, in terms of Luke being a badass, I think maybe they tried that twice. And for me, they just didn't work. And it was (laughs) (laughs) in two jokes that Luke made that were like, cool boy, disregard (laughs) for society jokes. And the first one was when Rey is handing him the lightsaber, and he just grabs it and yep. tosses it over his
0: shoulder. It's like I, I know the second one already. <laughs> Do you want to explain it? It's uh, is it when he uh, projects his image onto that yep. that salt planet, and Kylo Ren tries to murder him with all these explosions, and then he's still there and slightly brushes his shoulder. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) I thought that was so
1: uncool.
0: It was so unnecessary that. Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. When I was like watching this movie, I knew I was watching a stupid kids movie Mm. between like that and the puffin. It's like, okay, this is just trying to make kids like laugh and think he's cool. And like the entire fucking Finn story, Finn and uh, Rose Uh is her name, I think. Yeah. First of all, completely pointless. Did nothing
1: for the movie. Yeah, I, I, oh my god, it, you you are right. It did zero. <laughs> Benicio del Toro was just this weird, like tick having like he just had yeah. ticks. And do you, do you know his just, name in the movie? No, because I went pee like right when he was introduced.
0: And <laughs> he just came back, and Benicio del Toro was there. <laughs> yeah, where the hell did he come from? Yeah. <laughs> I, I do remember. Well, before I say his name, I remember he, like, turns over on this, like, cot in some cell on this, you know, Las oh, yeah. Vegas planet. And <laughs> <laughs> and I remember right when he came in, I was like, oh, man, this is a good time to bring in Benicio. Like, this movie needs some new energy. <laughs> so I guess I was getting a little wearied by mm. the stupid-ass plot with Thin. He's not he's, he isn't Finn. he's boyega. stupid yeah, yeah, ass boyega. boyega. We haven't yeah. even mentioned boyega. I know
1: I was wondering when that would happen. There's just there is really so much in this movie to talk about. i yeah, I think that this movie is a revisit, like maybe yeah. in like six months or something like that. like <laughs>
0: yeah. a, a total revisit, definite <laughs> revisit, maybe a two parter yeah, um, but Vinicio del Toro's name in the movie is d j Wow. <laughs> That's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, you've got like freaking Kylo Ren and (laughs) DJ. Who signed off on that? It's like when I think of a DJ, I think of a guy who plays music at a wedding and I think of DJ Tanner from Full House. Yeah, Full House. Exactly. (laughs) Or I think of like a five-year-old boy. Like I don't think of like a smuggler hacker from across the galaxy.
0: (laughs) Oh, Yeah. Yeah, he was a random ass character. They're like, Yeah, let's we need another uh like Lando type of character. He's yeah. gonna he's gonna go back on his word and be a little <laughs> trickster. <laughs> I had the feeling watching this movie when I was watching Boyega's stupid face, that Boyega was not enjoying this one as much as he enjoyed the last one. Mm. I had the sense Boyega deep down was like, my story is dumb in this one. Wow, that is a really good observation. That is, of course, assuming Boyega is a human being. Oh, yeah, and not just a Disney projection. Yeah, not just like a yeah, Luke Skywalker projection. Yeah, help us, Boyega. You're our only hope. <laughs> <laughs> if, back in our Boyega episode, that was probably close to a year ago. This mm-hmm. was, Wasn't that our conclusion that Boyega is just like a Disney hologram? Yeah, at least not real. Man, and we were like in that episode we got really deep into like the symbology behind like these movies that were coming out and that they were actually revealing the truth. Oh yeah. So I mean, in this movie we have two projected images. We have the projection of Kylo Ren and mm-hmm. we have the projection of Luke Skywalker. Maybe yeah. could Maybe Disney
1: be revealing the truth? Yeah, they're telling us something. Like they're showing us a glimpse of their power. It's it's almost like That conspiracy theorist, uh, like sociological reality that you talked about, how sometimes the government will like release something so that when a bigger version of it happens, we're not as shocked. (laughs) Yeah, it's called uh, predictive programming. Yeah. So Disney is engaging in a little predictive programming by showing us oh, like people can be manifested and not be real (laughs) so that when it's revealed that Boyega is not real, we're not like our brains don't blow up.
0: Yeah, yeah. They started doing it with uh Rogue One with the fake Leia and the fake uh general guy, remember? Oh, they're all yeah. CGI, just total total projection, and now they're saying like that you know, this can happen in, in real life, not just CGI. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, Disney's just gonna start having some of their minions walking around, but they're not even gonna be real.
0: Right. Right. Tit monster walking around. <laughs> Yeah. So, when tourists visit Skellig Michael, they get to go visit the tit monster and try some <laughs> green milk. <laughs> like, hey, it's St. Patty's Day. Like, <laughs> you don't need your green beer. Go get some green milk. <laughs> uh, so, I, something I, I wanted to
1: discuss in this movie. Are the love triangles. I feel like this movie has mm. a number of love triangles. And if you yeah. don't mind, I'd like to just kind of name a few of them.
0: I always loved you, Han.
1: Please. Okay, so let's start with Boyega because we're talking about him. I think with Boyega, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is exactly. Maybe it's <laughs> the history that he's a stormtrooper, which makes me think that he's highly like regulated by whatever group you know, the empire that created him, but I get a very asexual vibe from Finn, the, Oh, the, from Finn, Finn Boyega. Um, Finn Boyega. I, I don't feel, well, maybe it's asexual in this movie because, um, he and Poe didn't have as many interactions. So there wasn't that kind of homosexual energy. Um, mm-hmm. because Boyega was with, Rose, the whole movie, who clearly had a thing for him, yeah, like throughout the whole movie, and then it's confirmed at the end, and he was clueless and had no kind of (laughs) like indication of that, like he couldn't read her signs or anything. Yeah, even though she like the second she saw him, she was like swooning and just absolutely loved him.
0: Total starstruck. Yeah, I always loved you. So just like the Chinese regarding Americans in general. <laughs> is this like a theme yeah, that you think yeah.
1: disney put in there like she, she's chinese and finn speaks They're with an american accent
0: yeah chinese. Oh, yeah, that's right boyega's british yeah <laughs>
1: do you think disney's trying to encourage chinese people to love
0: americans i think so yeah and i think that's i love it not just love them but be amazed by them and that's probably why this movie totally bombed in china did it yeah it it got like removed from the majority of theaters after like two weeks wow yeah it
1: must be that pro-American sentiment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Chinese is just bound, Chinese person's bound to fall in love with the American and the Brit disguised as American who's really a projection. (laughs) Yeah, not even real.
1: (laughs) So uh, Boyega's love triangle in this movie, for me, goes like this. Rose loves, again, he's Boyega, not Finn. Rose Mm. loves Boyega. Ray loves Boyega. Boyega loves Poe. And Poe loves boyega, but Poe loves boyega the way a bro loves a bro because I mm. think Poe is basically a bro
0: poe Poe is a bro, yeah, yeah, thinks he's just like the the smartest guy around yeah. because he's like a hot shot yeah he he's
1: like uh Tom Cruise and uh hot I almost said hot gun <laughs> <laughs> top gun, <laughs> yeah. Who's his goose and his iceman?
0: <laughs> his his Iceman is uh Dern. Dern is Iceman. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was great to see Dern
1: pop into this film out of nowhere. Yeah, I think I said, Oh my god. Like I wasn't <laughs> expecting Dern. I love Laura Dern and everything. Love Laura Dern, yeah. <laughs> I just was so surprised. And then it was like, mm-hmm. is that purple hair? <laughs> i was not
0: ready for it what the fuck strong strong feminist energy going on in the last jedi yeah
1: maybe even a little lesbian energy
0: yeah, you know, you mentioned that uh there wasn't that homosexual energy between Poe and Finn, but between Leia and Dern. Yeah, it was
1: definitely there.
0: <laughs> Didn't they, like, stroke each
1: other's faces? They very well might have, because they shared a very tender goodbye. Yeah, yeah. They, like, stumbled over each other's words, even. And Leia was like,
0: you say it. You say it. You say it. <laughs> I always loved you. Come on, you share it this time. I cannot wait to rewatch this movie. <laughs> Me too. <Yeah. laughs> when I get my movie pass in the mail, I'm gonna instantly see the Last Jedi again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was. I mean, it was very strong, feminine love between those two, between Leia and Dern. Yeah. And like. It 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 was so strong that I had the sense like, wow, Carrie Fisher and Laura Dern love each other. <laughs> like yeah. this isn't characters anymore. <laughs> this is just these two actresses who really, really love each other. And yeah, it was like it was it was strange too because up until that point the movie convinced us that Dern was like evil and yeah. stupid. Mm-hmm. And Not not stupid, but just like bad, and like because she isn't supporting the Poe agenda, and you know the movies. Like, yeah, you guys agree with Poe because he like (laughs) cares for this cause, and then Leia like stuns Poe, and yeah, (laughs) they have this moment when like Leia fully trusts and is part of this vision that Dern is executing, and I don't know. It's like Ryan Johnson on behalf of the Disney Corporation is pulling a fast one where he's like. Hey, you know how you tend to side with the male in the situation? Guess what? You were wrong. Yeah. And the females in charge know exactly what they're doing, and you should trust them. Yeah, that was,
1: I, I liked that plot device, because Dern had a plan the whole timely. time. Yeah, very timely.
0: Yeah, she did. She did. And I, I saw some question pop up online. It's like, why didn't she just tell Poe what it was? Like, what did she gain by, like, not telling him was it just to like spite him because he's driven by like ego yeah that's a good question that that could be the answer
1: or maybe it's like a just like a military protocol like dude you're our subordinate yeah. like you don't right. you don't make the plan
0: you're not running yeah. the running the
1: show here yeah kid. you are told what to do like that is your rank <laughs> <laughs> you signed up for this
0: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah but i liked your plan i forget exactly how to describe it but you know to lead the Empire on long enough to be able to do an evacuation mm-hmm. and kind of keep their sights on whatever. I think for a while, until that was revealed, I thought the whole chase thing was kind of boring. And that's why I said yeah. early that it was like not as entertaining as like the original three for me. Because it was like, totally. oh, so this is, I mean, I know they're flying through space at high speeds, but it like looks like they're just <laughs> like in neutral, basically the two ships. So for right. like an hour and a half of the movie, it was just the slowest
0: chase ever (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah i don't i don't remember like fast moving ships i just remember static ships (laughs) yeah yeah.
1: (laughs) just like not moving occasionally the empire shooting at their defenses Mm -hmm. it's like is this it is this just like a four hour like okay when we run out of fuel we're dead
0: yeah and even the escape at the end was like really (gasps) slow moving and stealthy (laughs) yeah the only fast part was when dern sacrificed herself yeah. That was very fast. <laughs> that was. And I was wondering yeah. if, if that tactic
1: had ever been used in the Star Wars world before. I have to imagine it had. The old self-sacrifice? Well, yeah, the old self-sacrifice into hyperdrive. Like, I'm going to destroy their ship by hyperdriving into them.
0: Mm, I see. Yeah. I, I mean, not in any of the movies, I don't think. I wonder if any of the fan fiction. <laughs> Definitely. I'd imagine the fan fiction. Yeah, because that yeah. seems like a very good...
1: Tactic and one that the Empire should have seen coming. They,
0: Domnall dropped the ball on that one, I think. Domnall dropped the ball a few times in this one. Yeah. Like at the beginning when he got like tortured by Snoke. <laughs> he was tortured a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when uh, Kylo ran out of nowhere, just killed Snoke by doing the old uh, chop in half via lightsaber. Yeah. Which we've seen before. Maul. Maul. <laughs> oh, I mean, wait yeah it was yeah. maul, <laughs> maul. <laughs> which i have to i have to point out i believe that in like star wars canon perhaps even that like series the clone wars mm-hmm. um i believe that darth maul survived
1: i've heard that
0: <laughs> it's like that man or whatever the yeah. fuck it is is clearly in two pieces like there's <laughs> yeah. a complete severing between the top half the upper extremities and lower extremities yeah i I, the only thing i can think is that they were able to get his top half and put it on
1: a sort of (laughs) wild wild west kenneth branagh machine
0: (laughs) you know what i'm talking about yeah Uh, same same year if i'm not mistaken really wild 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 west 99 is that 99 maybe maybe that was 97 97 or 98 okay yeah late 90s yeah um you know what, actually,
1: I think I have heard that. And I think it is, I think it is true that in <laughs> fan fiction or in the canon that Darth Maul now lives on like some weird, like spider legs. I, I'm pretty sure it's, I mean, I I feel like I have to look this up actually real quick because I'm really curious. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, I, but I was thinking, why have they not, why have they not done a fucking prequel about Obi Wan, Darth Maul, and um Taken. Q <laughs> Yeah, That's Take, right.
0: <laughs> taken.
1: <laughs> um Darth Maul. <laughs> Darth Maul legs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm right. Really? Do you see it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> can, can you see it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's He's that kind of like kind a spider thing. Mechanical spider legs. Yeah. So I don't know
1: where that is, but um, Damn. I guess I could go to Darth Maul fandom, and yeah. So he apparently has these like. Sp- here's another version of it, which makes him look almost exactly like an evil Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have the double-sided
0: lightsaber in that one. No,
1: maybe That's... maybe each side of the lightsaber represented the two halves of his body.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and once his legs were gone, <laughs> he's he,
1: by principle, he could only have a one-sided one. <laughs>
0: uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, you know they never show where these uh, these bad guys get their red sabers. You know we we definitely yeah definitely sees the endowing of like the good lightsabers, but do we ever see the endowing of a bad one? Be like you're officially a bad guy. Here is your mm. your red lightsaber. That's a good that's a good question. I think the only time I can think of
1: something like that is when Anakin killed Dooku. Mm. Do you remember? Because I think he had a green or a blue or whatever and a red I think he had Count Dooku's red lightsaber
0: really little little lead yeah yeah, because
1: he cut his head off a la Maximus using two swords
0: oh a la Maximus yeah yeah Noah Crow yeah Crow Noah (laughs) um
1: American Hmm. gangster
0: yeah yeah well I guess it really doesn't matter no yeah (laughs) (laughs) Especially if Luke says that sabers don't matter at all by his cool toss-over-the-shoulder flick. (laughs)
1: Yeah. God. Talk about a...
0: Luke was just whining a lot. Yeah. I mean, if we think of him in broad context, outside of like the kind of inherent emotional like... Positivity that we have around him that, you know, Johnson clearly counts on. Like, you know that people like this guy and they're going to have positive associations with him. We got a guy who has given up on the world, a guy who um, whines, and a guy who tried to murder a child. (laughs) At least (laughs) considered it for the the split second moment. A guy that milks a tit monster. What the fuck? (laughs) And a guy that. Um well, I guess saves the day. Yeah, he does save the day. Yeah. But I think I, lot- I, I'd have to say that's that was my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. When I it thought it that cuts, was very- Yeah, when it cuts back to Luke and he's not only in full lotus position but levitating in yeah. full lotus position. Yeah, I, it's I thought that like, was cool. Yeah, that's some some deep level force forcery. forcery. <laughs> 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 you know, I've this this movie made some interesting stuff of like the Force. I think it's the first movie that might have used the word religion. Ah, where Luke Luke Skywalker referred to the Jedi religion. You're right. Which I was I was struck by. It's like I don't know if you've ever made that direct of a connection. Huh, you're right because
1: they've always been an order, like yeah. uh, like an order of knights basically. Right.
0: Yeah, like the the opposite of the Knights of Ren. <laughs> yeah.
1: Is that a <laughs> real thing?
0: Yeah, that's ah. uh, that's what uh, Kylo Kylo Ren is. He's the leader of the Knights of Ren. Oh, and I want to see these other knights. They they appear in about a two second moment of uh, Force Awakens when Rey's like touches that lightsaber and has all these horrifying visions, and she has this vision of Kylo Ren with like four similarly dressed cronies in the rain. And then ah. they like slash down something. <laughs> so Tuscan Raiders. Yeah, Tuscan Raiders. <laughs> so yeah, the the Jedi religion, but first of all, Ray picks it up really quickly. You get the sense that in the old movies that it takes years to like really start to get acquainted with the force. But yeah. I mean she's like kind of a force master if like if we're going by like the time of like the the plot of the movie, it's like a day. Oh, yeah, you're right. Or two, maybe. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, you're right about that. (laughs) Is it supposed to be parallel or is it supposed to exist in like a different time universe? That's a really good question. (laughs) Because it is like... I mean, I don't think it's gotten into relativity in the Star Wars universe yet. No. That's Nolan territory.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, you're right because I think Ray sleeps one night and it's like at night that she meets Kylo Ren.
0: Hmm. And then she
1: goes down into the mirror of infinity
0: war. Ooh. (laughs) Just getting people ready for infinity war. Yeah. She has an infinity war with herself.
1: Yes, she does. Ooh, it seemed very, um, something about that seemed, seemed very philosophical to me because Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel like it, it, and partially it reminded me of like the self and Buddhism in terms of like, you are never the same self, every, every, like there is no self because every, every moment is an isolated like reality distinct from all others or something like that. I don't know if I'm interpreting that right, but partially it seemed like that because we saw her. And then when she would say something or do something, there was a delay and as if it wasn't actually her, but like a mere reflection of her. And sometimes she would not even initiate the thing she said or did. She would like be in the chain. Like she would like move her arm and the other arms would start moving. And, but sometimes you would see like her move, like the other ones moving their heads and then it would reach her and she would move her head as if life is partially deterministic. Hmm. I thought it was kind of interesting. Like, is she totally in control of her destiny or could she have a dark side? Like I thought, I kind of thought that maybe was where this movie was going. Like is Ray partially dark and I'm the, I th- the jury's still yeah. out for me,
0: right? I, yeah, I think the movie suggests that definitely. Just like mm-hmm. with her, her connection to Kylo Ren, and like you know, she shakes hands with him at one point, or like they touch hands or something. Yeah. So like she's being pulled that direction to some degree, and Luke senses it, and he's afraid because he's wimp. <laughs> he is wimp. <laughs> yeah, he is wimp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. <is> wimp. <laughs> yeah, he he says something like, I've sensed this power before, and I wasn't scared enough last time. I always loved you, Han. That's right. <laughs>
1: he sensed it in his nephew, who he about to, he tried to kill. He
0: tried to kill, yeah. Um, no, those, those are good, good points about this mirror scene. I mean, I remember when it was happening, it was like, okay, they're trying to do something experimental here. And this is the scene that, you know, your standard soccer mom is going to be like, this is weird. And... <laughs> 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 but yeah you know mirrors i mean classic film trope the hall of mirrors and stuff some it all it tends to indicate something to do with like the unconscious mm-hmm. like especially when we're talking about like kubrick and stuff lots of mirrors uh, going on in the shining like a scene where mm-hmm. jack's like only seen in a mirror um and then it, it's it's her She's searching for her parents' identity, right? That's what brings her into that space. Yeah. Like, it's a total, like, go to the Inmost Cave, Joseph Campbell moment. Like, when Luke goes into that that tree on Dagobah. Yeah. With Yoda. And it ends, if I'm not mistaken, like, she's going deeper and deeper into this kind of confusion. <laughs> and... <laughs> It looks like she's about to see her parents, like in this like cloaked form, and then it's just her face, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is a total cliche, but it was like well done. Like I was cool with it. Um, so I mean, maybe in that that Buddhist thing, it's like everything that you're seeking outside of yourself is really just yourself. Mm. That made more sense when I thought it than when mm. I said it out loud.
1: No, I I agree. I, I felt like it was it was a profound moment, a profound scene. Ryan Johnson thought so. He did. Yeah, I'm sure I could tell. Yeah, and you know, I think if I think about that scene of like all the experimental scenes that a movie like this does and can do, that one, that one, I feel like resonated with me. Like at the end of it, I felt satisfied. I felt yeah. like it had per- it had moved the plot and kind of given some language to answering mysteries that remained in the movie. Yeah. Maybe because it was significant for Ren, it seemed like, or uh, Ray, it seemed like it was significant for her. Yeah. And disappointing
0: too, right? Yeah.
1: Like not totally satisfying for her, but like, sort of like um, Morpheus. The Oracle told you what you needed to hear.
0: Yes. Yes. Definitely a Morpheus Oracle moment. Yeah. (laughs) Uh Yeah. I mean, maybe it's saying like you're looking for something outside of yourself, but you need to be just looking at yourself right now like everything you're experiencing is a reflection of you and you know you got to let go of what you think you're searching for yeah um one of my one of those recurring you know how you get those recurring quotes in your mind yeah like the ones that just kind of come back and different moments as little reminders totally um one for me that I'm i'm happy i have because it's not like a cliche in fact i can't even find like the document of it Ooh. is Ken Kesey. Ken Kesey, the writer of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. And the uh, King of the Merry Pranksters, who drove across the country in a Technicolor bus and took a bunch of LSD and ushered in the era of the hippies. Wait, that was Ken Kesey who did that? Yeah, that was Ken Kesey. Wow,
1: I didn't know. That. So that's... Uh, have you seen Across, across the Universe? The universe. That's yeah, that's Bono. Bono. Really? Yeah, yeah Bono is... I didn't know
0: that, is, that was... Ah. Um, what are they... they What's his name in the movie? I don't know. I forget. But they like... In real life, Ken Kesey goes took his Merry Pranksters and went across the country to... First of all, he went to the Northeast. They went from Northern California. And he was publishing his second book, Sometimes a Great Notion. So it was like to go over for the publishing. But it was also to visit Timothy Leary, who was like the other like big time LSD guy in the 60s and was kind of <laughs> doing a different thing. And they had never met. But there was kind of like... Kind of like where you have the West Coast and East Coast rappers. You had like the (laughs) West Coast and East Coast acids, acid heads. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why in Across the Universe, when Bono and his merry pranksters show up at that guy's house, he's like, it's the home of Dr. Geary. So they changed Leary to Geary Ah. and he won't come outside to meet them. And Bono gets all upset. Apparently that happened in real life. Tim Leary was like, yeah, I don't really want to see them. Mm. Um, anyways, that tangent is to say that in this interview with Ken Kesey, when he's talking about some like mystical stuff late in his life, he has this great quote where he says like, we're always, we're always looking for, we're never looking at. Ah, that's, that's the one that just kind of keeps coming to my mind like over and over that we're always looking for something instead of what's right in front of us. Ooh, I like that a lot. Yeah, and I think of, like, all the ways I do that in my life. I'm like, you know, if I only have this or when I get to this level, then instead of just, like, looking yeah. at what is, which is, you know, where peace is and Jedi-dom. Jedi-dom. Yeah. Yeah, it
1: seems uh, that kind of reminds me in many ways of, like, the the groundwork of philosophy, at least in, like, the Greek tradition of, like, naming things and how Socrates was so interested in what a thing is. Like, by itself. Like, what is it? Not mm. not what we associate with it, but, like, what is the actual thing?
0: hmm Yeah. An old Kant. I always loved you. Kant continued that hermeneutic. Did, did, yeah, I guess that's not did, really did, did. a hermeneutic. That's just philosophy. <laughs> yeah, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> the thing in itself. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think old Nietzsche yeah. was like, fuck that. Get away from that. Like, yeah. Stop being all Kantian. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes, please. I don't. I don't know a lot about Kant. I. I respect his ethics. Yeah, because because I think they're. It's like a well formulated form of the golden rule. I think it's pretty cool. Right. His deontological ethics. Uh,
0: but yeah. other than that, I... Uh, the categorical
1: imperative. The categorical imperative. Yes. Uh, How's that phrase again? It's something like for each situation, like you were to imagine, like.
0: But like, like, um, act in a way where something could be like a universal. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Total rephrasing of old, old Jesus's rule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus Jedi. Jesus, <laughs> definitely, definite Jedi. Yeah. You know, one thing that I really did love—I I mentioned it a bit ago—was when Luke was levitating, and we realized that he's been projecting his image because. You know when he just shows up on that sand planet, that salt planet? Yeah. Just kind of like what the fuck? Like yeah. he's just here all of a sudden, and yeah. R.J. Ryan Johnson pulls another fast one when he mm-hmm. he cuts back to Luke in that intense meditation zone. But I, I liked. A lot of people hated that because they said that. That's too far-fetched, and it's just like you just invented this Jedi power that didn't exist before. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. uh, As
1: opposed to everything else that's so grounded in this entire universe. uh Uh-huh, exactly. (laughs) Laser swords and Admiral Akbar levitating (laughs) and projecting your images
0: far-fetched. Right, right. In the, like, absolute groundwork of the limits of this universe that these nerds think they know. (laughs) Yeah, they... And when Brian Johnson did something on Twitter the other day where he had like a string of images and it was like him moving closer to a bookshelf and then he pulls a book out and it's like the book of Jedi or something, Ah. something in the Star Wars lore. And he opens to a page and the page is giving like a very like metaphysical description of how Jedi's when they reach like a certain level can like be in two places at once and like project their images. Ah. So he's kind of being like, fuck you. Like this does exist in something. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I like that because in, uh, have you ever read the autobiography of a, of a yogi? No, I have not. I read about five chapters of it. And so I did not read it, but I got a lot out of the five chapters. It was by, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, I believe was the fellow's name. Okay. I think I've and, heard of
1: him. What did was what was his like how might I know him? Was he just a uh, big did he introduce like yogi or
0: yoga to the west or He he was really big in that and I okay. think like like George Harrison of the Beatles like, yeah. really loved this book and I think helped bring it to the west side. Okay. But yeah, it was I think a huge huge bridge and became very popular in the west and it was like yeah, the introduction to all these yogic ideas and in the book, like, you know, it's nonfiction from this guy's point of view. I yeah. think he like dictated it and someone typed it up or something. And he like talks about these yogis who are able to be in two places at once uh-huh. and how like they're able to have their image simultaneously in multiple places. And like, you know, we read it as Westerners, like right? That's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> like That doesn't make sense. But like, you know, this is like, a man who dedicated the entirety of his being to spiritual fulfillment and to like coming closer to God, and he's speaking about this in like a nonfiction kind of way. Like this is yeah. actually possible. So, I, I like to think that R.J. Ryan Johnson was aware of that kind of potentiality in the uh, in the yoga yogic philosophy and decided that you know since Jedi's are kind of like masters of all religion combined into one, yeah, that course they'd be able to do this too oh yeah that's that's okay i i see i didn't i didn't make that
1: connection uh, like explicitly like i i wonder i'm trying to think even if the word came to my mind but the word for that by location have you heard that term by location uh no yeah by location so um it's uh you know it refers to this idea of someone being in two places at the same time and it's often associated with like spiritual development. And even in the Western tradition, there are examples of it. So uh, Padre Pio, you familiar with that name?
0: Familiar with the name?
1: Yeah. So he was an Italian priest, maybe in like the first half of the 20th century or something. I think he's a saint now, Saint Padre Pio. And Mm. he is... PP. PP, yeah. (laughs) He is reported to have bilocated on several occasions. And he also received the stigmata, so, oh. um, the wounds of Christ, um, but yeah, there, there are stories of, of people like seeing him in like different parts of Italy, like at the same, on the same day when it like would have been impossible. And there are other, sa- yeah, there are other saints throughout Christianity who have been reported to have bilocated. Um, I can't think okay. of any more, but like wow. even, even Jesus, uh, in the new Testament, uh, after he rises from the dead and he meets the travelers on the road to Emmaus and then he like vanishes and is like instantly in the room with the disciples or something, mm. something like that. Like, uh, that's reported or, or there's like another scene where anyway, after Jesus rises from the dead, he he's like by locating all the time.
0: Yeah, I guess so. And it's kind of like a projection at that point. Like yeah. I imagine a lightsaber would go through him. Hmm. Post, post-resurrection Jesus.
1: Yeah, because even in Luke, right? Like, Luke, when he's that projection, he's interestingly physical and not physical, right? Because I believe he touches mm-hmm. Leia. Yeah, he does. But then the lightsaber goes right through him. So he's like both or neither or something.
0: Yeah, just kind of able to manipulate matter. Yeah, yeah. It's... Maybe, maybe I'm not sure if he's capable of manipulating matter or if it's just an image or a spirit. Yeah. Like it gets into that, that realm of abstraction. That's just, I think, really fascinating. And that's, that's cool that you pointed out all that stuff about bilocation in Christianity. Cause we never really, I never really heard much about that or yeah. it was never taken seriously. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, Oh, here's a story in the Bible. Yeah. But like there's a total connection between yoga and christianity yeah in terms of like what they say is actual possibility of the spiritual path
1: yeah exactly really interesting
0: so I, I loved that scene because if luke was just like chilling in his hut and doing that it would have been annoying but the fact that he was in such an intense state of like meditation and you know it shows his face and he's so deeply focused and deeply concentrated yeah. i just think it pulls on all these traditions like in tibetan buddhism there's something called dream yoga oh and dream yoga is essentially it seems pretty much the same like the same as lucid dreaming okay where through like a heightened state of consciousness and spiritual attainment one is able to travel at will through the dream world but the difference is, you know, lucid dreaming is like when someone gets stoned and it's like, oh my God, you can control your dreams. No <laughs> way. Like, I'm going to do such cool shit. And dream yoga <laughs> is like part of their spiritual path where I remember I saw it was in Spokane, Washington and saw there was like a Tibetan monk in town who was giving a, a course on this and I went to it and he was saying that he and his like Tibetan monk bros would... Like decide where to meet in the dream world, and then they'd go to sleep and like meet there and like talk with each other, and then in the morning all remember it. What? Yeah, like that's dream yoga is like doing that. And I remember I I asked him a question. I was like, "Can you spread compassion through dreams?" And his face lit up, and he's like, "Absolutely!" <laughs> <laughs> it's like Tibetan man. Did he look like Yoda? <laughs> Yeah, he looked like a Tibetan version of Yoda. <laughs> can you can you, yes? <laughs> <laughs> Spread compassion, you can.
1: <laughs> wow, that's funny.
0: Yeah, and this this guy was like a spiritual badass. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't just some random guy in robes was like, you know, so you can see a spiritual person, you know, like you see him and you're like, yeah. whoa. Like I'm seeing someone who's who's like yeah. kinda I don't know holy or something it's true like they're they're tapped into something that most people aren't but you know it's just like their wisdom is just kind of being exuded through them
1: yeah they're they're definitely spiritual people and they're total spiritual charlatans as well
0: oh man yeah we could do a good episode on the spiritual charlatans oh my god we totally could <laughs> or just do it right now <laughs> <laughs> it's a long-ass episode already yeah yeah when but, you, what do you mean when you say
1: a spiritual charlatan? I mean, one that comes to mind for me are just like the televangelist people. Like mm. Those people are, they are, in my mind, fascists who have found a way to convince people that they are holy and yeah. um, they are the scum of the earth. <laughs> like Now, would, would, would Joel Osteen fall in that category? Um, you know, I don't know much about him. And as far as I can tell, he seems like a nice guy and that he doesn't like actively preach um anything negative so i don't really know much about yeah, him like that's true you know i'm sure people could have their criticisms like he's rich or whatever um but i don't my my gut instinct is like no that he's not like that but someone mm-hmm. who would be would uh be the the reference jerry falwell uh if, if if he was he was kind of big back in the day mm-hmm. maybe died in like the around like 2008 or something and are you familiar with The writer, Christopher Hitchens.
0: By by name, I haven't read his stuff, though. Okay, I
1: haven't read his stuff, but I've seen so many of his interviews. And he was um, British-American, wrote for Vanity Fair, and he was for a while... He he he's since died. He died of cancer a few years ago, but he was like the most vocal atheist kind of in the media. And the stuff that he would say about Jerry Falwell was so funny. He called him a charlatan, (laughs) and someone... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Someone said, uh, at, like the day Jerry Falwell died, Christopher Hitchens was interviewed and they're like, do you think Jerry Falwell, like we, I assume you don't believe in heaven, but if you, if there were a heaven, do you think Jerry Falwell's there? And he goes, no. And I think it's rather a pity that there's not a hell for him to go to. <laughs> 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 and it just cracked me up.
0: That's so good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and like Jerry Falwell was, he was a, like a total right winger. Like big time and he said some horrible stuff, including that nine eleven was the result of homosexuality in America. What?
0: Yeah. So it, like
1: this guy's was he he was a Christian reverend? Yeah. Christian Reverend and this sort of thing. So people who do stuff like that, um, I, I wonder even if they believe any form of spirituality or Or have they so deceived themselves as to believe that they're right? So, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I like to read a lot of the old, like, big biblical tales as conflict between, I guess what we might call, like, higher self. Or, like, I mean, I guess this is, like, being, like, theistic. Like, atheists who are listening to this are probably like, you're full of shit. But -hmm. in, like, Jedi terminology, it's, you know, like, the the force or the dark side. And I like to read those as, like, like like the tale of Jesus being tempted in the desert or any temptation story is like a conflict between like higher self or God and ego. Mm -hmm. And like ego being kind of the path to the dark side. Ego is another ambiguous term. Like it can be interpreted a billion ways, but like the way I'm thinking of it tends to be like, you know, confusion and like self-absorption and um just, yeah, a sense that our perspective is always right something that like obstructs the ability to grow or listen to something that isn't just our own thoughts. Yeah. And that's obviously got a bunch of assumptions at its core. But I guess those are what I've come to believe in. And so I see someone like the guy you're talking about Mm -hmm. as just like complete absorption in – ego like no sense of anything beyond himself he's just got a totally fucked up mind based on his own distorted perceptions of like (laughs) what reality is and he's so like vigorously adamant about them that dumb people follow him
1: yeah yeah that's a that's a great way to put it because i feel like the ego trap that so many people fall into is believing in an ideal and then not having the wisdom to realize that an ideal can be further perfected
0: Oh, that's – yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Thinking you're there.
1: Yeah. And I feel like you can see that a lot in various spiritual charlatans and in politicians. (laughs) (laughs) Politicians. Yeah, politicians as well. Like holding this idea – I feel like you see this a lot for them. I mean, you'll see this in all of them, whatever. So – you know take that for what it is but i feel like you see it the most in like ultra conservative politicians because they hold this odd like they hold this odd belief that like things should not be changed like but then at the same time they contradict themselves by wanting to change certain things and so it's like you can't simultaneously say like we are the best and we can be the best or like, there's like some odd contradiction.
0: Well, yeah, I mean that's all over Trump, right? Yeah. Like, make America great again, but America is the best. Yeah,
1: it's like, wait, those those contradict. Like, you can create a, a more well-rounded and cohesive notion if you just keep it at let's improve ourselves. Mm-hmm. And
0: like, yeah, let's continually move toward this like eternal ideal. Yeah, that takes. Like daily practice and dedication.
1: Yeah, because if you already believe you're there, then that's it. It could like you're not gonna get anywhere.
0: Yeah, I think you've really like pointed to like the core of spiritual charlatans. Cause every <laughs> spiritual you're talking about like a large scale spiritual charlatan like uh what's what's that guy's name? Jerry Falwell. Yeah, Falwell. Um yeah. in my own like travels through uh through the country and well, definitely not through the world, but to a couple other countries um i'm I'm specifically thinking about when I was in San Marcos, Guatemala, and I uh-huh. ended up at this meditation center for a month doing like you know daily practice in this with this group of meditation, yoga, and actually stuff like lucid dreaming mm-hmm. and and something called astral projection, which is apparently what Luke did ah. Yeah, that's that's another term people have have oh, attached wow. to it: astral projection. Hmm. Anyways, um, I remember some some people there that that just really really pissed me off instantly because <laughs> you just there's this self satisfied sense of like I'm so spiritual, I know like the way of the spirits, and I'm here to teach, and you can tell it's someone like who's just not that far on the path and they're completely wrapped up in some sense of ego, some sense that they have attained this wisdom maybe because like they had one or two profound experiences and someone told them that they were wise or something or they just like read some book that was like, you are already enlightened. They're like, I'm already enlightened. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Everything I think is perfect. It's like... (laughs) So yeah, that's the, the charlatanic nature, I think, of those spiritualists is really yeah. believing that they are there when it's an ongoing journey. Like, totally. you know, Like even like Jesus, I don't think he was ever really saying like, I'm there. Like he was continually like dedicating himself to like going into uncomfortable conditions to like move closer to this ideal of, you know, eternal unity with God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So true. And, you know, it's funny, it kind of reminds me of a distinction I learned when I was studying philosophy, how there were kind of two groups of teachers back in the time of ancient Athens. There were the philosophers and there were the sophists. And both of those words have a root word in the word Sophia, which means wisdom, the one thing is philosophy and the philosophers. So philosophy means the love of wisdom. So the philosoph- the philosophers were the people who loved wisdom, and they were the ones who con- tis- uh, consistently challenged our preconceived notions. And those were the sorts of teachers who, like Socrates, would have been a little more inclined to like have conversation. And some of them set up schools of philosophy, ways of thinking, but the idea was... Centered around conversation, mm-hmm. and the Sophists, which just means wise, so they referred to themselves as wise people. Basically, they were the ones who taught the truth. So mm. you had two different groups of people. I just love that. Like some people said, "We love wisdom." Other people said, "We are wise," and it was the so- yeah, and it was the Sophists that uh, Socrates hated because they <laughs> they believed they knew everything, and then they taught the youth of Athens Mm. um, what to believe. And even though the irony is, yeah, Socrates was, was sentenced to death for corrupting the youth. (laughs) And, and his part of his uh, defense or whatever was how he was liberating the youth and the, the real people who were corrupting the youth were the people like the sophists who were just reinforcing all cultural standards and preventing people from thinking.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then towards the end, Socrates had that famous statement of you know i know I know nothing, yeah, oh Wonderful. man what a what a hero, what a guy, yeah
1: yeah
0: <laughs> um that that's fascinating though, to hear that because you know I taught for years, you taught for years, I'm sure mm-hmm. every teacher has had this experience where you know some teachers at the school are sophists, like some teachers <laughs> at the place I taught at like were dictating stuff to the students. And, you know, I'd hear this from the students themselves and, like, it was clearly authentic that, like, they'd question things and the teacher would just tell them they're wrong and the teacher would continually play uh, this role of, like, I know more than you. Like, yeah. I am higher than you. And,
1: like, the mm. kids hated that. Like, they
0: could yeah. see right through that. And, I you know, I knew these people, like, from being a teacher with them and (laughs) every single teacher who did that I think had like ego like big ego issues because like if a kid asks you a question I ran into this situation like a kid would ask a question where I didn't know the answer there would be a part of me that'd be like oh you better like answer this or you're gonna look dumb and they're gonna think that you're stupid but I would just be like I don't know like sometimes like let's look it up let's figure it out and I think that's like more like the path of like ongoing knowledge, right? Instead of like acting like I have some absolute wisdom that I am, you know, blessing the universe with by explaining it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I had a philosophy professor who was a total sophist because he, (laughs) he, (laughs) his, he believed in a very specific philosophical uh, narrative and a very specific metaphysic. So, Everything, everything could find, uh, he could find an answer for everything because his specific philosophical metaphysic was like a big sphere. And within that sphere, you could answer everything. The problem was... Hmm. Truman Show. Truman Show, yes. (laughs) Truman Show. (laughs) Truman. Um, And then the problem was, We would ask him questions that were outside of that sphere, but he would find them, he would find a way to bring them in the sphere, which I thought was a Mm -hmm. sacrilege against philosophy because it's like, okay, yes, you answered my question and you proved me wrong. But the problem is you, you made assumptions to my question that I did not present. Like you assumed them within your narrative and I'm not asking a question within your narrative. So yes, you can literally answer everything, but- the problem is, like, you're answering everything by wrangling it into your method, and yeah, that's not that's, right.
0: That's often a like problem between philosophy and theology. Is like, you know, yeah. the philosopher will ask, like, well, how is there meaning in the universe? And the theologists might respond, like, well, because God gave it meaning. Like, no, that's not <laughs> yeah. an assumption that yeah. I'm making in this question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're like bringing it into your narrative. Exactly.
1: Like if you if you bring this a priori kind of, that is to say, uh, like uh-huh. a pre-existing narrative, then you can weave anything into your narrative.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You've like created an absolute framework of reality, even though like the f- fundamental nature of our like experience and the path of philosophy through the millennia has been that there isn't some absolute framework to reality necessarily. Or like, it, it's not that simple. It's not just like this one system fits all. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not saying like relativism is the way. Mm -hmm. Like it's I don't think it's binary like that. Exactly. I think there's some record recurring principles. There's something that people people come back to.
1: Yeah. Very true. That's a good way to put it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's always problematic. I know that that type of teacher that you're talking about. (laughs) Oh, it's so frustrating. Like cause I
1: in in my arrogance. I decided to write a paper going against his views, and I got a very bad grade. So then I, <laughs> <laughs> it was a two, <laughs> and like I probably didn't do <laughs> the necessary work. Num- number one, but I felt like I did enough like philosophical work that I should have been in, been given credit for my logic. But I realized he wasn't looking for that. Like, and in his defense, he was looking to make sure we understood. The particular framework he was teaching, so basically <laughs> his worldview. Yeah, we, we want to make sure we understood his worldview. So in that way, it understood that it's true. Yeah. <laughs> so it was less of a, it was less of a, like a course in philosophy, and almost more a course in memorization, because that's ended what mm. I ended up doing, and that's how I answered oh. the questions on the final, like using keywords, key phrases, and like if you read my paper. Next to my final, which were written like two weeks apart, they are totally different. <laughs> <They> are- <laughs> I wrote them with, like, I wrote them both with the same amount of vigor. <laughs> like, I just, I, I just, I literally would commit sentences to memory from like seminal works in this philosophical framework, and I would write them down in the final, like, even if they weren't really related to the question. I just wanted to make sure that he would read the buzzwords.
0: I think that's like, I think that's a problem with academia in general Yeah. is just like through this whole publish or perish mentality, which is, you know, when you get this tenure track job at a university, which is so cush. I mean, if you can get one of those jobs, they like like, like,
1: almost do nothing. (laughs) Like some of them, they
0: like teach a couple classes and then just get to like, do what they want. Yeah. And
1: like some of them like stop working. Like I've heard stories of professors who like <laughs> published things and wrote books and worked really hard. And then when they got tenure, they literally stopped publishing. <laughs> like the whole <laughs> idea is that you get tenure. So you have time to publish on behalf of your school.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so these people are just furiously, like, carving out their own perspective and, like, trying to do it in such a way that gets attention and that other people respect. And, you know, it becomes such this competitive environment. Like, your your philosophy's bad. Like, no, my philosophy's good. Like, I have the proper interpretation of Wittgenstein. It's like this huge assemblage of, like, ego and... No one's, people aren't really trying to like challenge the paradigm. You know, when people come along to challenge the paradigm, they're like called crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure there's tons of brilliant scientists there right now who like are publishing controversial papers about like laws of thermodynamics or something. And the institution is just like, fuck you. Yeah. My entire, my entire like dissertation and beyond is based on these principles that you're saying are untrue. And so it's, it creates these like, individual thought bubbles these fears like you talked about with that professor and then gets like those get downloaded onto students especially if a professor gets like you know respect through his treatises or whatever <laughs> and like other people are like oh wow this is brilliant stuff well then the person unless they're like a sage who can not give into that bullshit is going to start building that up in their heads and think they're yeah. you know the shit and know a ton of stuff yeah
1: I get, I get really concerned with this, especially when it comes to the media and news, because as humans, we tend not to like ambiguity as much as we like certainty. And yeah, like sports. Like sports. Yeah. Sports <laughs> certainty. Yeah. Sports are, are certain. Did he cross
0: the line? Yes. Easy, yeah. easy does it. Six points. Mm-hmm. Um, they've even taken the ambiguity out of it because the ambiguity was like, close calls that the ref would have to decide but yeah. now they just look at a replay on super slow motion to find <laughs> yeah the certainty
1: like and like that can only continue right like eventually they'll have sensors in the first base bag i'm sure that can like oh yeah you know they can like basically figure out exactly when the foot hit the bag and whatever mm-hmm. um but we like certainty and the thing about the news The thing about the news and history that people don't understand is while the, while things happen, they're the meaning of, of what they led to their causes. That is like always up for interpretation, but we don't like a lot of interpretation because interpret, interpreting things is engaging in ambiguity. And so we want certainty. And when media and news outlets kind of put forth a narrative of certainty it makes people feel good and it makes them more inclined to return to that same news outlet and get that exact same meta narrative over and over again, which helps them create their own truth bubble, which makes them unable to engage in conversation because then engaging in conversation with someone who believes a different system is engaging in ambiguity, which we've essentially been taught to avoid or not taught to avoid, but we've been encouraged to avoid because, because it helps kind of create return customers, as it were. So it's essentially an opiate, to use a Marxian image.
0: What What's the
1: opiate? Oh, I, I feel like news media today is, in some ways, an opiate.
0: Um, yeah, but it's such an interesting one because it's so negative. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, you know, you usually think of an opiate as like pleasant feelings, like, yay, everything's nice <laughs> yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, Marx said that about religion, and you can see there's obviously darkness to religion but it's like you know you're not alone here there's a god that loves you yeah like but the media is like the world's gonna explode (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah this fucking North Korean psychopath's gonna blow us up and like (laughs) look what Trump tweeted oh my god and like all this freak out stuff and like there's all this darkness happening like guns and just like the world's. if you if you make a truth bubble based on like mainstream news outlets, there's the only conclusion is that like we're fucked. Yeah, exactly. And so like how, how what distortion of human consciousness has made that an opiate where that comforts people like that's, where they seek
1: that? That's a really, <laughs> really good question. <laughs> I don't know. Like the only thing I can imagine is that somehow it reinforces their themselves. Like I, I think with, especially like the partisan news sources, Um and I know it gets ripped on a lot, but I personally think rightfully, and that's Fox News. Not everyone at Fox News. There are some really great people at Fox News, um, who like really give good credit to the news. And I'm thinking of two individuals that I really like. One is named Chris Wallace, and the other one, Shepard Smith. The thing is, their shows are on like during (laughs) Shepard Smith. Um, (laughs) I love this guy. He's so great. He accidentally said the word blowjob on TV one time. <laughs> he's he's from Mississippi, so he has this nice Southern accent. He's like, I have no idea how that happened, but it won't happen again. <laughs> um, but uh, they give the news in a very good way, but their shows are on like in the middle of the day when the bulk of people are not watching the news. And then at mm-hmm. night you get these people who are, in my view, actually fascists. Um <laughs> At least in their persona, they put forth. But with media and culture today, general they're, huxes. they're general huxes. There is no difference between the persona you put forth and your real persona because the persona you put forth is more powerful. It's not like someone can be like, oh, well. my Projection. What's that? Your projection. Your projection. Yeah, you're, you're by location, basically. <laughs> yeah. It's the real you. Um, and it's it even it doesn't even matter if it's the real you it's it's the ideas that you put forth like if you go on t v and you and you preach essentially half truths and um and deceit, and then you go off t v and you're a normal guy, like you've done every bit as wrong as if you were a horrible person, so I'm thinking mm-hmm. of people uh Sean Hannity, I believe he's a
0: fascist, and Tucker Carlson, <laughs> these are two people on Fox News. I think Tucker Carlson is the first of the ones you've mentioned who I'm aware of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, I got a
1: strong fascist vibe. Yeah. He, and he's a very smart person. So he has a way of presenting arguments. Like he'll bring on someone he disagrees with. And then he does a brilliantly sophisticated sophist way of tearing down their argument, um, by assigning to it, um, Oh shit! What's the word? Um, I, I forget. But, but basically, using their argument kind of to a uh, to create a straw man that he can quickly destroy, thus showing their argument to be illegitimate, even though the argument that they have he like that he's presenting is is not actually what they're saying. Anyway, like the O'Reilly method. Yeah, like O'Reilly, he would be another one for sure. Like I'm not you know, like the classic one is like a, a climate change person will come on one of their shows and they'll be like, well, you know, how do you know, how do you know what, ha- what's going to happen? And as a scientist, they have to say like, well, we don't know because science is about like revealing. And so mm-hmm. then he'll use that as to say, like, see, like yours, you could just be as wrong. It's like, well, no, that's also not true because you can project things with science and so, yeah, g- gives me some dismay, and I think those people are they are like political charlatans, and mm-hmm. they create a cult of worship and and at their core, they stifle human thought, which I think is a grave, grave, grave sin, I think they would be in dante 's deepest level of hell,
0: yeah, they stifle human thought just by what projecting such like limited views yeah to the masses yeah and doing it in such like a comforting
1: way like hey no need to think outside of the sphere because we got it all
0: here <laughs> <laughs> so I, <was> like, <laughs> I see that being like the jingle for fox news <laughs> yeah i mean that's this is the fascinating topic of the day and what's also fascinating is that we're talking about like television news and That's got to be a freaking drip in the ocean of where people are getting their news these days. Like, you know, our parents' generation probably still watching it on television predominantly because like that's their source, their trusted source. And that's another thing is like, I don't know if, I don't know how many people our age refer to the concept of the news. Like, you know, my folks will be like, oh yeah, just going to watch the news. Like we could dismantle that (laughs) that concept for yeah. a while like the news like that's saying there's this absolute thing that is just like here it is but really it's just yeah. perspectives on history and exactly yeah what's occurring what's unfolding and sometimes it's just like lies and so i mean that's kind of an aside but like folks of our generation you know we're getting news through the internet And through, like, little blips or through, like, satirical news or through, like, bullshit that pops up on Twitter and Facebook, like, there's all kinds of stuff out there about how Trump won the election through, like, social media, like, through basically getting his, like, name broadcast out so much and, like, there's... It's always like the negative stuff that gets engagement, you know, like the fear based stuff, the stuff that like really grips people instead of like, you know, here's a policy to better the world. It's like you know, Trump farted on yeah. some Korean guy's face and like we'd get like yeah. the most it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, like...
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. One is boring. One is entertaining.
0: Entertaining. Yeah. So we've got entertainment that then becomes the epic of the age, not truth, <clears throat> like what can be the most entertaining. So, you know, then that other fascinating thing happened with the election where, like, Hillary's supporters, I think especially, saw it as a done deal that Hillary would win. And, like, you know, there's no competition here. And then all of a sudden this whole new realm of thought that they thought, you know, because of Obama was kind of obsolete of just, just this, you know, more like old school type of thinking then and like the whole like sexist and like racist and homophobic types of mentality that then all of a sudden seem to surge into the forefront again and that concept is often referred to as the echo chamber ah the, i think uh, i think i've heard you say this before i probably have because it's it's the name of my book the name of my novel ah, okay that's right <laughs> Ooh, yes that's right Yeah, but I'm guessing by the time I finish this book, someone else will already have a book called that, so I'm going to have to change (laughs) it. But yeah, that idea of an echo chamber where on these social media platforms, which I think is just a furthering of, you know, choosing the channel that you want to watch the news on, it's just, it's echoing back your own thoughts to you. It's like just confirming and more deeply embedding what you want to believe and, It's so connected now to this PC culture and how no one wants to be offended because when someone or something outside the sphere, as you called it, or the echo chamber comes in and says, like, hey, here's a challenge to your way of thinking, then you get this swarm of comments on your behalf, you know, like, no, this is great. Like, you're brilliant. And like, everyone attacks this outside point of view. And then you just more deeply embed like your own limited point of view as an absolute, which doesn't allow for dialogue, it doesn't allow for ambiguity, and it doesn't allow for, like, actual connection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somehow this all seems connected to The Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like when ray goes how. into her yeah. mirror
0: echo chamber.
1: <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's so fascinating. And that, like, I don't know, I, I, I felt that. I felt that there were some connections to to contemporary culture in this movie. And I left the theater feeling that way, mm-hmm. which um is not often the case, leaving a movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny you mentioned social media and the internet. And I think about that, like how to distinguish what is real or how to distinguish what is true is a noble, noble endeavor. And it's one that I don't think is encouraged partly because of reasons we've already said. And I just think about sophists. like- Sophists. yeah. I think about like Instagram. So I go on my explore bar on Instagram a lot. Not a lot of people do that. It's the little magnifying glass on Instagram. And it's like accounts that you might be interested in. So you can kind of search other accounts. And I don't know how, I think I've mentioned this before. I don't know how, but like for some reason, part of my algorithm thinks that I'm interested in these like fringe conspiracy uh, accounts. (laughs) And it's probably because every time I see something related to them, I click on it and I look at it, whether it's like a flat earth uh, account, like, you know, there are like a lot of people who think the earth is flat. Have you heard about this? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Flat earthers. Flat earthers. (laughs) Uh, They even had like a conference one time. Those people or just like different like right-wing conspiracy ones where it's like the second there's like a a news story, a national tragedy, they in their sphere create this narrative as to like how it might fit into some conspiracy mindset that they have. And I think it's terrifying how many people believe this. Like InfoWars, the website, are you familiar with this website? Alex Alex Jones. Jones. Yeah. Like that is nothing more than conspiracy theories, which – For the longest time, people who believed in conspiracy theories were considered ridiculous. And I see them as gaining traction in legitimacy that like thousands of people will believe this. Or like, you remember Pizzagate? Uh,
0: (laughs) You ever heard of Pizzagate? I've heard the term, but I forget what it is.
1: So during the election between Hillary and Trump, these right-wing conspiracy theorists people kept promoting this news story that Hillary Clinton ran this like sex dungeon in the basement of this pizza restaurant. And people believed it so much that some like lady went into this pizza restaurant with a gun to try and free these people who were supposedly stuck in there. And this pizza restaurant was a real place and it didn't even have a basement and it was totally, totally, totally made up by who the fuck knows who. And finally, Alex Jones had to apologize. But like, when these people have to apologize, it doesn't—it doesn't mean anything. It's not like they go on their show no. and they're like, "Hey, uh, we were telling you a complete lie, and you know, maybe you should watch out. Maybe we'll do it again yeah. in the future, so you probably shouldn't watch us." They they submit uh-huh. a quiet apology and they go on to continue yeah, saying it's fake like a, things.
0: It's like a Skywalker brush of the shoulder.
1: Yeah whatever yeah <laughs> so crazy
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i guess that just that gets at like the um the non-truth of the time the non like i, I don't know like yeah it, the, it's it's relativism i guess because mm-hmm. you know it's like well uh, you don't know the truth like
1: yeah, and that that doesn't make all truths equally legitimate. You know, like we should believe right. the scientist when it comes to scientific things, and we should believe the psychologist when it comes to psychological things. Like just because so I, I feel like almost in the United States we have this problem where we have free speech and we have the right to free speech and freedoms, but that means we have like the political right to say things and not be arrested for them. That doesn't mean we have the like academic right to comment on things that we are unqualified to comment on so Uh like i should not be able to explain earth science like my people should not think that my opinions about climate change are as valid as someone like an earth scientist (laughs) like and if they think that then they're they're misled like you should Uh you should believe an expert in something yeah but certain fuckers claim to be experts sophists
0: Sophis, everything's become like two dimensional, you know, like it it's a tweet it's it's just like this maxim or not even a maxim it's just words it's like babble, yeah, whereas like back in the day before I think the media really made things two dimensional it wasn't it wasn't just about an image or a statement, it was about like a way of life, like the people who were trusted the most like walked this path, yeah, probably like, people who are committed to the path. Like, I think, wasn't it, like, Francis of Assisi or someone that said, like, you know, spread the gospel and when necessary, like, use words? Yeah, exactly. Or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. it's not about the words. It's about the lifestyle. And that's why, you know, people trust Jedis and stuff. And it's not necessarily about what they say. It's the, life's, the life. It's what they they do. And I don't think that's really necessarily the case all the time anymore you know it's just like someone's on tv so they're like oh wow they know the truth or like yeah conspiracy theorists who the fuck knows who they're yeah like trusting and you know we're not looking to as much to sources of actual accumulated like knowledge yeah
1: i i yeah i don't know what it is it's evil it's evil sith sith <sighs> only the sith speaks in absolutes <laughs> the <Sith.
0: laughs> Only the Sith speaks in uh, absolutes. <laughs> I will
1: say that is one of my favorite scenes because it's at that moment that Obi-Wan realizes Anakin is totally lost. And I it's think turned. as as he's saying that, Obi-Wan lights up his lightsaber. He's like, this is, you are lost and I can do nothing. Yeah. And we must battle. If you're battle.
0: not with me, you're my enemy.
1: <sighs> Only the Yeah, George Bush. <laughs> Did he say that? He basically said, if you're not with us, you're with the terrorists.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is the exact same thing. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And it's like, of course, like George Bush, you do understand that terrorist doesn't necessarily uh, relate, like being a terrorist doesn't necessarily relate with a a certain worldview. Like there are (laughs) terrorists of every single ideology on earth. Right, <laughs> like, there are Catholic terrorists in Northern Ireland, you know, et cetera, et cetera.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, I think I'm a, I've exhausted my cognitive resources. Yeah, me too. What a. I feel, feel good. Yeah, me too. Fuck yeah, Last Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm. I feel like The Last Jedi specifically led us on this trajectory, in that. So do I. (laughs) The Force Awakens wouldn't have done this. No. The Last Jedi points beyond itself. It really
1: fucking does. I, I am now a fanboy of this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a fanboyega. A
0: a fanboyega. It's tough to reach that level. Yeah. That many boyegas get there. No. You know, I'll I'll throw
1: my I'll throw my. uh, my fists down in terms of support for Ryan Johnson. Um, the movie Looper. He did the movie Looper. You know, not mm-hmm. a not a great film, but bold. I I will say that. I I think I don't know a lot about Ryan Johnson, but it seems that his his uh, way of approaching story is a bold way, and I appreciate that.
0: Rian, is it Rian? I don't know. I oh. just every time I see it, that's how I want to say it. So do I, <laughs> Rian Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to throw some fists up for him, and Me too. then we've got some fists down and some fists up, and <laughs> we got the full spectrum. We do a praise for RJ. Mm-hmm. Took took many risks, mm-hmm. and you know I think was very cognizant of what the film could point to. I would say maybe uh, too explicitly so in like the Las Vegas scene. Yeah, a little too much. That's, that one lacked any subtlety. Yeah. They're all arms
1: dealers. <laughs> yeah. It's just like
0: Rose just I think that's her name, right? Yeah, Rose, yeah. she just like knows that and says it. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, yeah. thanks. Big fat thanks alien for telling us exactly what is happening right now. Yeah. A big fat alien whipping
1: children, you know.
0: <laughs> right,
1: right. Very, okay, these people are bad.
0: These are bad bad people.
1: But I, I like that he showed that each of us is is on this cusp of light and dark, it seems. And where we will sway is is up for interpretation. And even the fact that the same event of Luke confronting um, Ben Solo can be portrayed in three different ways relates to the media taking the same event yeah. and conveying it in three different ways.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And Luke, I think as like a final point of him that I thought was fascinating in this movie, I think that he struggled with a spiritual charlatan nature because when he talks, when he finally opens up to Ray about like why he uh, struggled so much with Ben, it was because, you know, he'd become this legend. Yeah. Luke Skywalker. And he internalized that and he grew an ego Mm -hmm. around it. And he's like, I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm the best. I can't be beaten. But still he's, on the path. And so when Ben comes in with something outside the path, part of his like internal freak out was like, like, no, no, I can't fail. Like I'm Luke Skywalker. And then he couldn't deal with the fact that he did fail and everything he'd built up in his head was a lie. And he finally had to confront that if he was to levitate when he meditates. So true, because perhaps had his ego been more
1: in check, he would have, he would not have been so intimidated by ben solo's power perhaps he would have been able to yeah. guide ben in his power and not not be so afraid of it or something
0: yeah just like assume that he's you know doing everything the perfect right way yeah because he's luke skywalker the ultimate good light jedi who turned the darkest man darth back to the light yeah so yeah i think just some really fascinating takeaways from this movie and it's the first movie i've seen that reminds me that if I really try, I can be in two places at once. <laughs> Same. No other movie quite has done
1: it, has explicitly reminded me, but now I'm confident. Yeah.
0: The only other one for me was uh, Lost Highway, David Lynch. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the man who gives uh, <laughs> Pullman a phone. You mean the scariest man on earth, <laughs> Robert Blake, the most frightening individual ever in a film? <laughs> I love smiles yeah. to Bill Pullman in the middle of a party and says, "I'm at your house right now." <laughs> and to prove it, makes Bill Pullman yeah. call. Bill Pullman,
1: what the what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs>
0: That's <laughs> fucking crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, oh. so a little different uh, feel to that one. Yeah, but yeah, you know, I appreciate what Ryan Johnson did. Me too. Nice.
1: But yeah,
0: everyone on the cusp of light and dark. You got that, like through Luke and Ray. Yeah, Luke and Ray and um, Kylo as well.
1: Kylo. The, yeah. the the verdict is still out for Kylo for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that to think that the dark doesn't exist in all of us. It's silly. Like those Mm -hmm. creepy ass visions of that like bottomless hole with the vines and like seeming kind of organism growing out of it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's got some kind of pull and it takes tremendous spiritual courage to be able to look at that and like shine a light in it. And I think that's what Luke needed to do if he was going to be able to affect good in the world again.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: You know, no one in Star Wars movie has ever farted. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's too bad. I, I would have imagined...
1: Yeah, like in the saloon with Han Solo, like, there were definitely farts happening there.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was there were the farting types present. Definitely. Yeah. Jabba? Oh, definitely.
1: The yeah, I guess he,
0: Jabba's the closest...
1: He 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 has to have like some. I bet Jabba just has one hole or two holes. He has a mouth and then he has a mm-hmm. like a to- a hole like where he pees. It's like his, it's he shits and pisses and out of it, and it's also his reproductive organ. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's
1: my best guess.
0: Man, that is that is not only accurate but just <laughs> un- unbelievably grotesque and disturbing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if, if JJ Abrams in the next one really wants to conjure an image of the dark side, oh that's my god, what he should show.
1: Oh my god, two huts having sex. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just assume that his species is called a hut. <laughs>
0: <laughs> two huts. <laughs> 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 oh man, that that would be the day. <laughs> oh my god, Colin
1: Trevorrow's version would have sucked. I'm glad it's JJ.
0: Yeah, yeah. Believe in JJ. Yeah. Well, listener, thank you for going on this ride with us, which may have been our longest episode ever. Yeah. If not, our longest episode was our last Star Wars episode on Rogue One. <laughs> So,
1: yeah, so thank you for joining
0: Yeah, it's been fun riding through this uh, theological territory mm-hmm, For sure And we hope that you too develop on your spiritual journey to become fully realized Jedi that can be in multiple places at once Yeah, and um, and to carry
1: multiple mindsets without being led down a dark path, that would be nice
0: Yeah, not being led into the dark sphere of ignorance No May the farts be with you and and also with you. Thank you. <laughs>